Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. lovely to be speaking this evening. Um, I'm going to be looking at the theme of Abide in Christ and this is part of the Path of Discipleship series we're doing here at the evening service. And as we go through this series we'll be looking at the first disciples of Jesus and their example of being an apprentice to Jesus. And for the original disciples, uh, that meant quite literally going out to towns and villages with him um, through Israel and then on to Jerusalem. They were called to follow him quite literally. And we're going to learn a bit more about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing the things that he did. I want to ask a question as we start this evening. And I think this question feels relevant for everyone here, whether you um, have known Jesus for a long time, you call yourself a Christian whether you're just a bit curious about Jesus, you, you want to know more, but you've not yet decided to follow him um, to become a Christian. I think this question is relevant. The question is, what was it that so undeniably captivated the earliest followers of Jesus that led them to leave the lives that they had or even lose the lives that they had? What was it that captivated them? And can it be that that awe and wonder and the manner in which they were so perplexed and bewildered but convicted to follow Jesus could be possible for us all this time later in 2023. I wonder if sometimes I've become indifferent uh, to what it is to be standing in front of Jesus and choosing to follow him and maybe you feel the same slowly over time uh, losing a bit of that awe and wonder And perhaps like me, sometimes you find it hard to match up the discipleship stuff you hear within church or small group and then actually modern life and work. And maybe for some of us, the idea of following Jesus isn't as captivating as it once was back in the day. But we want to be captivated once again, like those first followers of Jesus were. So let's read in Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22. It will be on the screen, but if you've got uh, your phone and your Bible, feel free to get that out. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Uh, Just to help us understand the story of the first disciples of Jesus. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat and their father Zebedee was preparing the nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So this is right at the beginning, right at the start of Jesus's ministry. And did you notice that the phrase at once or immediately appeared two times in that really short passage we read? It was an immediate yes to follow Jesus. And I think this is key for our formation as Christians. Jesus asks us over and over again every single day, will you follow me? It's a key question. And sometimes my response isn't an immediate yes. 
And so this provokes me to wonder, to think back to that question we started with. Why was it that they said yes straight away? And to understand this, we've got to inhabit the story a little bit, to understand what was going on. So some context. Galilee was a hotspot of religious activity and learning and education. People were going there to seek out the spiritual wisdom of rabbis. And in this culture, you'd have this traditional idea of uh, young people learning the Torah as they grew up. Um, and then there would be an opportunity in their early teens for the boys to then go and um, follow a rabbi to study under them. And the rabbi was a teacher and they could choose to give their life to follow this rabbi and learn more about the scriptures and gain spiritual wisdom and insight. But the rabbi would have to agree to have you as their student. They would be thinking if they saw potential in you and they were thinking, you know, could you become like them and do the things that they did? The rabbi had to select you to be their follower. And if you weren't chosen, you'd probably follow in your father's footsteps and become a fisherman or a carpenter. So that's the scene of where we are in this story. So when Jesus showed up alongside the Sea of Galilee that day, the men would have noticed that Jesus had turned up. They were attuned to this culture of rabbis approaching them. So when Jesus asked them, will you follow me? This is the opportunity of a lifetime. The rabbi, the teacher, had chosen them He wanted to spend time with them and disciple them. Their response to Jesus was immediate because their understanding of Jesus was accurate. They had a revelation and full awareness of who Jesus was when he asked them to step out of that boat. And they hadn't yet heard um, the Sermon on the Mount. That's like Jesus' manifesto for his kingdom. That comes in the next chapter of Matthew. But they did know that Jesus had authority that he carried that authority and they didn't want to miss out on the opportunity to be in close proximity with Jesus. At the heart of Jesus' call to his first disciples is the invitation to be with him. Come, follow me. And we can sometimes get weighed down on our practices. Maybe we become a bit legalistic. Maybe we put guilt and shame upon ourselves when we've not matched up to our standards or other people's standards. And I know I do that a lot. It's something I share with my small group. It's something I've mentioned to Joel loads. Even this week, I was having a bit of a cry in my car to Joel because I said, I haven't done enough studying for this sermon. (laughs) I was becoming really weighed down with these practices and I hadn't done enough. And whilst these practices, so things like fasting, coming to church, reading our Bible, praying, they're really, really helpful for our spiritual formation. They're not the main focus of the path of discipleship. Rather, It's about intentionally remaining in the presence of Jesus. And to use the imagery of the story we've just heard about in Matthew 4, it's to be captivated by Jesus and to want a close relationship with him, just like those first disciples. So as well as the language of following Jesus, the Bible instructs us to abide in him. Abide isn't a word we use all that much now, is it? But abide means to accept or act in accordance with a rule or a decision. It's a verb, that's a doing word. So we don't just have a feeling or a belief about Jesus. We remain or stay actively connected to Jesus. It's something we do. So we're going to read another passage about staying, dwelling, remaining with Jesus. And as the Apostle Paul prayed, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened as we read this. Or in another translation, Lord, we pray that as we read this, 
our minds would be open to see your light. This passage is the vine and the branches. So I'll start reading and it'll come up on the screen. Okay, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to you, my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Most of us here probably don't have much gardening experience, I'm guessing. But my dad, however, is actually a gardener. Um, And I often look to him for guidance on how to look after my plants. And so I thought it'd be fun to show you some pictures of my dad's new apprentice at work. Some of you know that my dad, Nick, recently got a puppy who goes to work with him. And the puppy's name is Friendship, because he's basically my dad's new best mate. So here is Friendship, sniffing flower beds, looking for weeds for dad to pull out. Here is Friendship, investigating the garden waste bin to check that dad hasn't thrown away his trowel. Here's Friendship taking a nap in the stump of a tree, because sometimes it's just too much being a student and following around this wise gardener. Here's friendship confirming that a pathway has indeed been weeded and plants pruned, looking at his teacher for affirmation. Here's friendship taking yet another nap, albeit slightly more dangerous because he's on a warm strimmer that my dad did tell us is off. Um, And then finally, here's friendship at the end of a busy day of gardening, asleep in the van, dreaming of another day, running up and down the garden as dad diligently cuts away the dead plants and beds in new ones. The passage in John 15 talks about God being a gardener. He prunes and cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit. And pruning, my dad tells me, is actually really important to do as a gardener. So if a rose bush is left to itself, it'll get all straggly and tangled and grow in on itself. It'll produce quite a lot of not-so-good roses rather than a smaller amount of really beautiful ones. And it will quite literally get in on its own light. It needs help to grow in the right directions and to be growing in the right places. So if you prune it, it's going to stop wasting its energy and being unproductive. You cut out particularly the parts of the plant that are growing inwards and getting tangled up. You encourage the shoots that are growing outwards towards the light. You prune the rose, in other words, to help it be its true self. 
And it's more or less with uh, the same thing with vines. So uh, vines too need to focus their energy on producing those good quality grapes rather than lots of second rate ones. Vines too need to grow towards the light rather than getting in a tangled mess. Left to themselves, they produce a lot of excess and redundant growth, which needs to be cut away if a vine is going to be truly what it's capable of. So we looked at that passage of the vine, but the the English language doesn't quite capture the full meaning of what John's writing about here. He uses the word prune in verse 2, and and that's kind of unusual. Um, But it's very like the word for clean or pure in the next verse. That's why he's used it here. He wants us to link the pruning of the vine with the clean state of the disciples. They've already been pruned. No no doubt there'll be a lot more of that to come. Jesus has spoken the word to them, calling them to take up their cross and follow him. They've had to surrender to the gardener to be pruned to follow him. And like we saw earlier in Matthew 4, um, they had to cut away their goals, their ambitions. They literally like, set down their nets. They gave up their income, their jobs to follow Jesus. And within the Jewish tradition, the vine was a picture of Israel. Psalm 80 verses 8 to 18 references God bringing a vine out of Egypt and bringing it into the promised land. Verses 8 and 9 say this, You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and filled the land. The psalmist tells us that the vine had been ravished by wild animals and it needed protecting and re-establishing. Isaiah chapter 5 tells us that the vineyard of Israel had borne wild grapes instead of proper ones. So now Jesus is saying he is the true vine. And this can only mean that he is in himself the true Israel. He is the one on whom God's purposes are now resting and his followers are members of God's true people. So if they belong to him and remain in him. And the picture of the vine in this passage isn't just a clever illustration from gardening. It's about who Jesus and his people really are and what's going to then happen to them as a result. In John 14, Jesus had already referenced his disciples being in him as he is in the Father. So now in the picture of the vine and the branches in John 15, we see more of what he means. He's such a good storyteller. Um, Jesus is speaking of himself as Israel in person and of his followers as members of God's true people because they belong to him. It's also a way of speaking of the intimate relationship with him that his followers are to enjoy and cultivate. So this passage tells us that branches that decide to go it alone to try living without the life of the vine soon discover their mistake. They will wither and die and are good for nothing. Verse 6 of our passage says that they're thrown into the fire. But branches that remain in the vine and allow the gardener to prune them when necessarily live and bear fruit. And that's the prospect that Jesus holds out to us as his followers. I want to give an example of someone um, I know who's taught me a lot about abiding with Jesus. Remember, that's remaining, staying close to Jesus's presence. Um, My mum, Karen, has almost finished her gap year age 60. Um, She spent a year in Norway 
And on the outside, this might seem very random. <laughs> and my mum started learning Norwegian when us kids um, left for uni, as you do. And, and she visited the country numerous times for holidays and then later for Christian festivals and camps. And she just really loves Norway. She'll be happy to tell you about it, I'm sure, if she visits. Um, and she spent the year volunteering with a Christian organisation, doing their finances. And then, but she's also been involved in a language cafe for refugees and people who are new to the country and don't speak the language. She's helped with a food bank. She's gotten involved in a small group and a church. She's served at various outreach events and met such a diverse range of people. And that might all seem a bit crackers. <laughs> but hearing my mum speak about her experiences makes it impossible for me to question why God took her out there. Her face just lights up any time we're having a video call because she has so many stories of God doing amazing things in her and others in that year. Mum had to make some sacrifices to follow that call to Norway. She gave up a steady income. She left her job here. Um, she's obviously spent time away from us as a family, just coming back every so often to be with us. She's moved to a new country um, where she didn't know anyone. And while she's got fairly good conversational Norwegian, you know, it's not quite the same, is it? Um, she's missed out on moments in the UK, like missed out on my graduation and other things that have happened. But in the process of cutting back and allowing God to lead her, she has seen so much growth. Her faith has developed so much and we can see her impact in lots of different ways. She's been a mum or a big sister to people who are far away from their own home. She's had to rely on God for her needs and has some amazing stories of uh, people basically funding her accommodation or leaving friends' houses or events with food enough to see her through the week ahead. Uh, she's preached in English and Norwegian to loads of different crowds of people. The fruit of her time there is undeniable, but the process hasn't been easy. She's really had to rely on God for strength and trusted that the great gardener knows what's best for her, even when she's missed home or things have gone wrong. God has helped her to cut back on distractions and maybe unhelpful habits and used her to bear so much fruit that it's just this amazing witness to others of God's goodness. So how do we remain in him? How do we abide God might not be calling us to leave our job or move countries, but he calls us to remain in him so that we can bear fruit as disciples on a journey with Jesus. So firstly, I think we must remain in community, a community that knows and loves him and celebrates Jesus as Lord. We can't be a solitary Christian. We can't go it alone. But we must also hold this in balance with being people who pray and worship and spend time with Jesus privately. To abide with Jesus is to be in touch or in tune with his presence, knowing him and being known by him. And though it can hurt, we must be ready for pruning. To be open to God's ideas of what areas of our life need to be cut back, the bits that aren't doing us or maybe other people any good, we need to um, allow certain areas to be deadheaded uh, to allow new growth. But just to encourage you, God's methods are gentle. They're compassionate and loving. 
He's the best gardener. He doesn't mess up the pruning process. John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. The path of discipleship, of making everyday decisions to be with Jesus, to become like him and do the things that he does, it's not an easy one. There's going to be tough moments and times where we're going to want to give up. But as we abide in Christ through these tough times, we can trust that God is working in them for our good and our growth. A gardener isn't going to prune something back if it's not for the good of his plant. That wouldn't make sense, would it? We can trust in his knowledge and his sight of the bigger picture that sometimes we can't see. God promises to always love us and we can remain in his love. Psalm 139 verses 7 to 12 puts it like this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Pruning and abiding are close and personal processes with God. A gardener is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when they're standing close with tools in hand, ready to prune. And what's the purpose of all of this? Well, when we bear good fruit, God is glorified. We can be an example of God's goodness to others. Some of the ways that fruit will be shown according to the passage we've looked at today are things like answered prayer, obedience and joy. I can definitely see that in my mum's story. And that's just one little testimony from my family's life of the fruit being born out of God cutting things back to allow new growth. So my prompt for us today is to invite Jesus into the little and big moments of our lives to answer his call to follow him, to be captivated once again by spending time with him and enjoying his company, but also allowing him to change our hearts so that we can become the people he made us to be. And I don't know about you, but in the past, sometimes I've heard similar messages at church I've been really tempted to set myself a big task. I've left feeling like, right, you know, I need to pray for 15 minutes a day. I need to overhaul my whole life. I need to, like, take this Bible study way more seriously. And I've become really task-orientated rather than relationship-orientated with Jesus. But actually, Jesus just wants us to encounter him, to encounter his presence. And he's not prescriptive in how long your quiet time needs to be. He's not this demanding teacher who punishes his apprentices. Jesus understands and cares if you're struggling with your mental health right now. He is deeply invested in your well-being. He knows that sometimes your work and your commitments and things going on around you can be draining. And he sees how you learn and best connect with him. The invitation from him is to remain in his love. Isn't that just amazing? 
He just wants to love us. He wants you to know that you are loved by the king of the universe. You are so loved by him that God would send his only son to live as a human on the earth, to experience all the emotions, all of the trials that we do. Jesus has been there. And ultimately, he died that brutal criminal's death on the cross so that he could have victory over sin, that he could reunite us with God so that we can be uh, the branches that remain in the vine. We have that close proximity with God, the great gardener once again. The path of discipleship is centred on this invitation from Jesus. Abide with him. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Wow, isn't that amazing? That is the invitation from Jesus to us today. To abide with him, to remain in him and to see amazing fruit from that relationship.